Welcome to the Remove the Guesswork podcast. Hello, welcome back to the Remove the Guesswork podcast. If you're a returning listener, it's great to have you back with us. If you're a new listener, welcome and thank you for, for tuning in. My name's Leanne Spencer, I'm your host. And this week I've got an amazing interview with somebody that we were felt really fortunate to get. Krista Scott-Dixon is the Director of Headspace Adjustment for the nutrition coaching company Precision Nutrition. Uh, she's got a very strong presence on Facebook uh, and I will link to all of that stuff in the show notes. Got very uh, strong opinions, really well educated, fantastic uh, ambassador for nutrition and for coaching and for the whole, the whole shebang of health, fitness and well-being really. So we talk a little bit in this episode about her, her role as Director of Headspace Adjustment and exactly what that means. We also talk about starting new habits, whether that's trying to lose weight, get fit or achieve a better work-life blend. We wanted to bring you an interview that really helps you understand how to be successful and be one of the few who manage to hit their goals and achieve the holy grail of transformation, which I believe is consistency. We talk about the psychology of dieting, why some people are successful at affecting change and others aren't, what a typical health journey looks like and much, much more. It's a real humdinger of an episode and I wanted to start the first episode of 2018 with a bang. And that's why we were after Krista to do that for us. So I hope you enjoy the show. If this has been useful, please share it with someone you think it would help. Subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts and of course leave us a review so we can get your feedback. It means a great deal to us, helps us stay motivated, helps other people to connect with the show. And of course, your feedback helps us to improve all the time as well. So that's it from me. Happy New Year to you. Uh, listen to Krista Scott-Dixon. Krista, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, no, we're, we're delighted we've got you. Um, let's start here. Your job title is uh, Director of Headspace Adjustment for Precision Nutrition. Tell me about that title. <laughs> well, it is kind of a, a made-up, well, I shouldn't even say it is kind of a made-up title. It is a completely made-up title. And um, one of the things about uh, our work at Precision Nutrition is that we don't function like a regular company so we don't have official job titles and so lots of us have just kind of made up job titles for ourselves and um you know my more official title is director of education director of curriculum it sort of depends who i'm talking to but i just love the idea of director of headspace adjustment because mm. ultimately that is kind of what i do right i help people um or people helping other people adjust their headspace adjust their mindset their thinking their choices their behaviors um, and so, yeah, we're a nutrition coaching company, but ultimately, uh, it's not just about delivering information. It's about changing the way we think, the way we reason, the way we problem solve. And so for me, that all fits under the heading of headspace. Mm -hmm. And I love the term headspace because it's just this very broad umbrella term. So, you know, I say I don't fix people. I just get them unstuck. I just adjust their headspace. So mm. it just seems like a, <laughs> a good role for me to take on. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, I think having headspace is so important um, in order to affect any kind of change in your personal life, whether it's your, your diet, whether it's exercise, whether it's sleep, whatever it is, you need that headspace, that ability to look objectively at the problem um, and get out of your own way in a lot of cases. So yeah. I completely buy into that. And I like the, the kind of the uh, illusion as well to Headspace, the meditation company. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. I don't know. I mean, do you meditate? Absolutely. Yeah. I do it in a different way than many people do. Um, you know, a lot of folks do the traditional seated meditation. And I do that sometimes. Mm. But for me, I've discovered that moving meditations are much more effective. Just I think for active people, um, being in your body with the movement and, and tuning into 
movement is often more effective because when you're sitting, it still becomes very cognitive, right? It still becomes very thinky and you're expending a tremendous amount of energy trying to stop thinking, right? So the meditation exercise becomes this like um, exercise in frustration of like, ah, stop thinking, be present, right? Whereas with movement, uh, you, I think intuitively and naturally become more present because you're forced to engage with so much more moment to moment stimuli, right? Like if you're out walking in the woods, you have to pay attention. Are you going to trip on a tree branch? Are you going to step on a weird, you know, soft, squishy spot? Uh, how does the wind feel? How does your body feel as you adjust your angle? So in being mindful of more inputs, it actually becomes much easier to focus a lot mm. of the time and get those benefits of mindfulness. Mm. I agree. One of my ways of, of disconnecting and reconnecting with nature, with myself, with my thoughts and so on, is going out on a hike, which I guess you could call a kind of walking meditation. I like to be on my own. I like to go at a brisk pace. Uh, I'll stop and sit and be, you know, I, I, it's great if I don't see a single soul. You know, about 40 minutes outside London where I'm based, you can get to Ke- the Kentish countryside, you can get to Sussex, and I'll pick places that aren't that popular. So I may not mm. see anyone, maybe the odd dog walker. But I do also do 10 minutes in the morning. Um, I plug in a device called a human charger. I don't know if you know mm. that. And I nickname the sun in your pocket. And I'll plug that in and I'll do 10 minutes of, of a seated meditation. Which I do yeah. like, because I think a lot of life is about rushing around and doing things and being active and actually just having 10 minutes at the start of the day, sitting and being, I find really relaxing. Absolutely. And, you know, it's, it's interesting how difficult it is. Because, uh, recently, I, I went was somewhere where it was a really good view of a sunset. And I said, I'm going to sit and watch this whole sunset. And the sunset is actually a rather long time. It was longer than I thought. So it was like an hour. <laughs> and I sat there and, and part of me was like, oh, I want to get out of here. Like I wanted to fidget or take a picture or something. And I thought, no, I'm going to sit and watch this whole sunset. But it was actually much more challenging than I realized. And that was kind of an interesting, um, not a wake up call exactly, but an interesting piece of awareness of how, how poor our ability to just sit has become. Mm-hmm. So um, sitting meditation definitely has a tremendous amount of value, even just teaching us to sit still for 30 seconds. A lot of the time is kind of an achievement, right? Mm-hmm. Just being still with things. And I always love this, uh, this Zen proverb that when, when nothing works, do nothing. Right? Because nothing is one of the most challenging things to do. So I think all forms of mindfulness are very useful exercises. Uh, you know, there are different, uh, different ways we can work our mental and, and emotional gyms, if you will. Mm. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, this show will be going out uh, at the beginning of January, and it's a time when our listeners are going to be thinking about inevitably weight loss. Um, they're going to be thinking about some transformation they want to go through. This is the year, this is the day it's going to happen. Um, it's probably built around weight loss, but it might also be around fitness and other good habits. I want to get into um, the psychology of, of dieting a little bit, because I know that that's going to be prevalent on people's minds. And obviously you, you're a nutrition company. Talk to me a bit about the psychology of dieting. What are some of the common things that people make mistakes around and, and how do you do it successfully? One of the things people should be thinking about now is they're gearing up to a, a resolution or a new habit. Yeah, I mean, that's a huge question, right? We could, we yeah. could spend our whole lives studying the psychology of dieting. But I think, for me, some of the biggest ones are, first, the desire for transformation, mm. which is a universal human desire, right? Like, all of our fairy tales are about transformation. I mean, it's such an archetype, right? I think humans have wondered about and longed for transformation as long as there have been human beings. So, so I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. I think it's a lovely desire within us to strive for something better, to to grow, to do something different, right? So it reflects a very nice wish. Um, That being said, you know, the Cinderella story doesn't happen. And I often tell coaching clients, um, 
you know, change that overwhelms our ability to cope is known as trauma. (laughs) If something really, really significant happens, a really major change, generally we don't deal well with it. Uh, So, and yet we put ourselves through that massive change process when we attempt to change everything at once. Mm. So we're effectively traumatizing ourselves by attempting to do that complete transformation. We're ripping ourselves out of our roots in a way. So the the first big mistake is trying to change everything at once in a massively unsustainable burst of enthusiasm, right? And I mean, I'm sure we've all done this. I'm going to get up at six in the morning and I'm going to go running and I'm going to do this and I'm going to eat only vegetables and I'm going to quit drinking and blah, 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 right? Um, And so the the first mistake is going all out. Now, in rare cases, there is that person who's hit rock bottom, wakes up one morning, you know, covered in whatever. <laughs> it's like, that's it, I'm done, uh, you know, and transforms your life. And that does happen, those stories do happen, but in general, for 99.9% of us, um, slow and gradual change mm. is really the only sustainable game. Because you want to be asking yourself, what's the long game? Yeah. Right. What is the, what is my exit strategy on the transformation project? Okay. So I transform myself. Now what, what happens after that? Right. So, so the first solution, if you will, is slow and gradual changes. So when you wake up on January 1st, just uh, with our clients, we, we have what we call the five minute action. What is something that you can do to vote in favor of change in five minutes or two minutes or 30 seconds, take a vitamin, whatever, drink a glass of water, um, take a deep breath. But what is something you can do in five minutes to vote in favor of the change you want? And then how can you do that tomorrow? Right? So slow, gradual changes are boring. (laughs) They're less sexy. They're less exciting. But they're the only way, really, for most people to make sustainable change. So that's piece Mm -hmm. number one. Piece number two is a lot of people try to do this on their own. They do it in secret. They hide it from their family. Or they feel like their journey is a result of some individual deficiency, right? Like I'm out of shape because I suck, because I'm lazy, because I'm disorganized, whatever. But the reality is that humans are relational beings, right? We need community, we need tribe, we need support. And so if we try to make these kinds of changes without support, it becomes quite difficult Mm -hmm. over time. Uh, So the solution is find a community, find a tribe, find a coach, find a friend, find an online community find some other human being, preferably more than one, that is on a similar path or will support you. Mm. Because um, our our co-founder, Phil Caravaggio, always likes to say, nothing worth doing can be done alone. So don't go it alone. Get help is the second solution. Um, The third solution or the third problem slash solution is don't begin from a place of weakness and deficiency. So don't begin a plan because you hate yourself. Don't begin a plan because you think you suck, because you need to be better, because you're a piece of crap. Begin a plan instead because you want to take better care of yourself, because you start to believe that you're worth it. And I know that's hard for a lot of people to get their head around, right? Because they're like, well, how can you say that I don't suck because look at me, right? Look, I'm such, a, I'm such a, an out of shape loser or whatever people have in their heads. But ultimately, assuming that you're broken is not a great motivation. It's not sustainable and it reinforces the stress you feel. We know that under stress, people regress to bad habits. So effectively you're stressing yourself. I like to say you're becoming the asshole in your own head. Right? <laughs> Don't be the asshole in your own head. So the solution there is to become the coach in your own head, yep. right? Encouraging yourself saying, okay, you know what? Not totally happy with where I am right now, but I'm gonna pull up my socks, wipe my nose, 
be my own best friend and start rooting for myself. So, I mean, there's tons and tons of other pieces, but those for me are the three big ones. Mm. Yeah, that chimes a lot with our philosophy. And I say a lot, the health is a long game. And we mm -hmm. talk as well about the minimal effective dose, which is exactly your, your piece one and piece two. You know, what mm -hmm. is the smallest thing that you could possibly do that's going to have an impact, a change of yeah. some sort of positive change? And I think that's really the only way to do it um, for most people. Otherwise, yeah, it's just and you know, too big. I, and I tell people, like, what is the easiest, laziest option you can take? If you wanted to, like, whatever improvement it is, what is the laziest version of that improvement? And people are like, what? Because they, they think it should be hard. They think it should be a chore. It's like one more thing on the to-do list. I'm like, no, no, no. How can we be lazy about mm. this? <laughs> what is the like the, the lowest friction option here? And I, and I think that gets people thinking in a new way because they're like, well, wait a minute. I have more money than time. Why don't I just order meal delivery, right? Or I'm already at the grocery store getting regular groceries. Why don't I get some extra stuff that's like prepackaged and convenient, a box salad, whatever. Mm. You know? We have this idea that you should work extra hard. I don't believe in that. I'm like, work less. How can you work less <laughs> in the service of this? That's an interesting little mental puzzle, I think. Yeah, yeah. Coming back to Headspace, how do you help people to create the Headspace to start thinking about this kind of stuff? I begin, and this sounds really woo-woo, I'm actually more practical than this sounds, but I begin with compassion. And um, what I mean by that is not saying, oh, you know, poor you, boo-hoo, it's not like that. But just to receive people and say, look, here's what your life looks like right now. You're juggling a lot. And I think that's true of almost everyone in 2017. That is an mm -hmm. accurate statement for almost everyone in 2017 who's not living on a desert island. You're juggling a lot right now. Here's what's happening in your life. Take a moment and kind of forgive yourself for struggling. Be compassionate with yourself. And often um, clients immediately melt in the face of that because yeah. they're expecting coach hard ass. They're expecting, you know, shut up, stop crying, you know, burn the pain out, pain is weakness, leaving the body, blah, blah, blah. Whereas I say, listen, this is going to be a long journey. I'm going to need you to be kind with yourself. Maybe not love yourself, but that's too much to ask. But I need you to be gentle with yourself, to be curious, to be compassionate, and to forgive yourself for where you are right now. And that's the place we're going to work from. And it's kind of a trip for people because, again, they're used to this whole thing being punishment, which only augments the stress. And, and I mean, being compassionate is not just sort of like, because I'm a nice person, but it's because research shows that it's the only thing that works, right? Mm -hmm. So criticism doesn't work. Punishment doesn't work. Adding more stress doesn't work. So let's, let's do the opposite. And so, you know, uh, there's a funny paradox in human psychology, which is only when we accept what is happening right now, who we are, what reality is, can we actually change it? Can we actually open up and consider new alternatives? Mm. It's a weird paradox, but it's absolutely true. And so as a coach, when you sort of receive someone without judgment and say, okay, here's what's up for you right now. Cool. Let's work with that. Suddenly people now feel like, yeah, you know what? I could change. Whereas if I'm like, hey, you're, you know, you're doing, you're doing all the wrong things. You suck. Here's what you should be doing. People will dig in. They'll entrench. They'll rebel. They will resist. So my goal is to lower all of the resistance by, again, being accepting, non-judgmental, compassionate, and curious. And it's such a weird headspace for most people. They're like, what? But you know, I've had clients cry at my first session just because they were so desperate mm. for that. It opened up yeah. so many more possibilities for change. I think sometimes by the time people have got to the likes of you and I, 
they're in a very low place, but they've been strong yeah. for quite a long time. And the feeling just that somebody is there on their side. Um, yes. And yes, and well. is perhaps more compassionate than they were expecting. Uh, it is, it's such an overwhelming relief to them. Uh, yes. And often, I had uh, interviewed um, Dr. Becca Moore, who's actually a friend and client of mine on the podcast a few weeks ago. And she was talking about the door handle moment. So you have a consultation with someone. Yeah, you know what I mean. Where... I was just telling someone about this this morning. That's so funny. Okay. Yeah, I hadn't really heard that expression before, but I knew what she meant. Which what, what she meant by that was somebody talks to you, whether it's an appointment with a GP or a psychiatrist or with us as a coach, and they tell you what's going on. And then they leave the room. And just as their door's on the handle, oh, and there is this other thing. And that's the thing. Um, yes. That, that's got them to the place that they're in. That's really interesting. So sometimes we find what i find is that people who arrive and typically they'll come with a weight loss goal because who doesn't want to lose weight it's very easy to understand well yeah look at you you're two stone overweight of course you want to lose that but actually what sits behind that is the real goal or the real pain or the real problem um but it's too big too scary to articulate you know my self-esteem's at rock bottom or i have unresolved trauma or whatever it might be but i put this big thing in front of it which is weight loss and everyone's no one it takes a special kind of person to look around that and find out what's really going on. And it might be the door handle moment, or it might be a couple of months in, or a couple of weeks into to the, a program. Um, but it's interesting, isn't it? Because behind weight weight gain, or, or people being overweight, I think often sits trauma. There's, there's usually some reason for that. I, I think that's an absolutely lovely summary of exactly what the situation is. And, and one of the things I tell coaches that I train is, almost nobody joins a gym because they're feeling awesome. Mm. <laughs> you know, very, very rarely will you have someone who, who says, yeah, I'm feeling really good right now. And I think I could feel excellent. Or I, th- I think I think I could take my f- performance from an A to an A plus. Mm. Most of your clients will be coming to you for a reason because they're in crisis. Something really crappy has just happened to them. And if you think about all of the steps it takes to get into a gym or to get to see a nutrition coach or to, to, you know, to just get in front of someone, some kind of helping professional at three o'clock on a Tuesday when you have other things that you could be doing, yeah. um, something is pushing them there and, and things have become so bad, whether that's physical pain, psychological pain, whatever, um, that they're like, yes, I'm going to take the time to do this. Mm-hmm. And so appreciate if you're a helping professional that someone is coming to you in pain, in crisis, in difficulty, yeah. in suffering. Yeah. And that to me changes, that knowledge changes the game, right? The fact, like how much effort it took them to just come and see you mm. is worth honoring in and of itself. And the other piece you didn't mention, but I think is embedded in what you're suggesting, you know, for most of our clients, this is not their first rodeo, right? This is not their first diet, their first workout, their first knee injury, whatever. Yeah. So they come to us feeling like failures because all the things they tried didn't succeed or maybe succeeded for a little while, or maybe they used to be in a certain shape and then they've lost it. But I look at the flip side. I'm like, yeah, but look how many times you've tried. You've tried 50 diets and all 50 of them sucked for you. And here you are at time 51. Why didn't you give up? Why didn't you give up at 17 or 32 or whatever, right? The fact that you're here trying again, attempt 51, says a lot about you and people are like oh yeah i never thought of that (laughs) that that i would keep trying and persisting in the face of failure and frustration so that's how i like to to start as well is affirming people's basic resilience yeah Uh, that's a really great point actually um yeah i mean i've I know lots of people who've they've tried everything and they've they've done it all they've done all the different diets and everything else um and yet they still persist 
in yes. try and get it's a really good point actually to empower someone uh, early on in the process yeah What's and a, you can also let me just add one piece yeah. too you know i think it's really helpful for people to it's like if you try to build something and it doesn't work and someone comes along and says oh it's because you need this kind of screwdriver and you're like oh well okay so it's not because i'm a bad builder it's because i was missing some of the tools mm. and i think it's the same with this you can say to people look you did a great job up to the level that you could use or you could do with the tools that you had i'm going to give you some more tools um and hopefully that will get you even further but you went as far as you could with the toolbox that you had i think that's helpful for people because they're like oh it's not that there's something wrong with me it's that i needed more things yeah. that i didn't possess yeah. i think that's a helpful way to frame it too yeah i agree I was going to ask you what a typical journey is, because I think this will be really useful for listeners to hear as well, because it isn't just improvement, 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 improvement. (laughs) (laughs) it's a real up and down, isn't it? What are your observations? Yes, a journey looks much more like a tangled ball of string, or um, the way I think about it is more like a coil or a spiral that moves forward, right? So it's like a loop and a loop and a loop and a loop and it moves forward. And that's actually much more tidy and maybe like a ball of string that moves forward or like a, a ball of string that you sort of half untangled but, but there's yeah. sort of, so there's like a forward line to it but it's still like lots of knots and a ball of string and the cat's had a go at it yeah exactly exactly <laughs> yeah. And you're still not sure if the cat's ever gonna let it go <laughs> you know that's the reality and even if we um over time accumulate skills and accumulate knowledge and insight life has its way with us mm. So even if you're going along and learning everything, quote unquote, perfectly, doing everything, quote unquote, perfectly, aging is a thing, life is a thing, randomness is a thing. So it doesn't matter if you're doing everything right, stuff just happens. And then, of course, you know, we never do anything completely perfectly all the time. Um, So the journey to change is much, much more circuitous, tangled, lots of false starts and stops and going off in different directions and so forth. So it can be very complicated. And sometimes you end up back what feels like further back than you've ever been in your life. Mm. <laughs> um, and you know, to go back to archetypes, we're talking about transformation. Another archetype is descent into the underworld, right? Where you lose everything that you thought that you had. And this is a very persistent motif in like human culture, right? And so this is the journey of change that, that you move forward and you make some incremental improvement and then you fall back and you feel like, oh my God, what is going on? And, you know, so, so as you progress through your life, as you do the long game, it's completely natural and normal to have all of these ups and downs and false starts and stops and, and moments where you're just like, nothing's happening. I'm totally broken. It's all a disaster. This has been a terrible mistake. It's normal. And, and mixed feelings are normal too. Mm-hmm. Uh, ambivalence is absolutely normal. You know, people often feel like if I don't feel 100% about this, it must mean I'm not motivated enough. It's like, actually, no, the more you push into change, the more resistance you're going to feel. Mm. So the closer you get to playing at the edge of the sandbox, the more you're going to feel pushback. So often you can actually treat resistance within yourself as a sign that you're about to break through into change, which is kind of cool. Yeah. Yeah. Because the resistance will rage because it doesn't want you to fall off the cliff. It thinks it's protecting you, right? Mm. So it will rage when you get to some real meaningful change. It'll be like, this is stupid. Everyone's going to hate you. This is a big mistake, blah, 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 all these nasty things. Yeah. It's just trying to protect you from disrupting the status quo too much. 
There's so a survival actually, part of the brain, isn't there? Sorry to interrupt you. Absolutely, and yeah, no. Absolutely. A little part of the brain that's responsible for survival, uh, or not a little part, a big part of the brain is responsible for survival, will will keep you from change. Don't try it. You might be, it's just as you've said, really. And um, and that's a very strong and influential part of the brain, isn't it? Very much. Well, and, and, you know, it's be, it's be safe, especially for our clients who've had trauma and for whom, you know, excess weight or whatever is part of that whole thing. Yeah. I mean, the excess weight is protective. Yeah. I saw a great expression um, in a case study, overweight is overlooked. Ah, Actually, I remember where it's from now. It's um, a book called The Body Keeps the Score. Oh, I love that book. Such yeah. a good book. Um, I can't remember the name of the author. I'll link to it in the show notes uh, anyway. Yeah. Gabor Mate. Bessel Gabor van der something. Oh, no. It's, um, oh, yeah. It's Bessel van der Kolk. I was thinking yep. of, um, there's another one called When the Body Says No by Gabor Mate, who's okay. also excellent. But yeah, Bessel van der Kolk is... is amazing stuff and there's really great research in the field of what's called affective neuroscience and and somatic experiencing and all this kind of stuff where the idea is that there's a huge amount of wisdom and knowledge in the body and the body is a sensing perceiving knowing kind of entity rather than just our just our brain um and so that these things can be manifested in our body and you know a life out of order is a body out of order and vice versa mm. yeah so that moves us nicely into consistency, actually. What tips can you offer, what experience can you share around getting consistency? Well, the first thing is um, to go back to that five-minute action concept. Do the absolute easiest, laziest thing you can. Mm -hmm. Because you, you want to feel like this is so ridiculously easy. You can always add more, okay? So you can always make it harder, you can always make it more challenging. But And, and you feel cool when you can add more difficult things. You're like, yeah, I got this, I, I'm going to level up. Whereas if you start really hard, and you can't do it, then you feel like, ugh, I didn't mm. do that. So always start super easy. Uh, and the second thing is have a system. Don't rely on remembering. Don't rely on willpower. Don't rely on any individual like volition within yourself because it, it'll fail you eventually. Um, but So instead have a system and a process. And so one thing you can do is stick habits to other habits. Maybe you always brush your teeth every day. Maybe you can, hopefully brush teeth every day, <laughs> you can stick another habit on that toothbrushing habit. So for example, maybe you want to drink more water. Every time you brush your teeth, have a glass of water. Mm. Boom, now you have two habits stuck together, you're already brushing your teeth, now you just add the water and it glues on really nicely because you start associating water with brushing your teeth. So sticking two habits together is a really nice way to do it. Scheduling, get that calendar out, look at your week ahead. For most of our lives, Things are not unpredictable, right? People are like, oh, stuff came up. Did it really? Like, was, it, was a meeting at work really that unpredictable? Was having to pick up your kids from school really that unpredictable? So most of us don't live lives of total chaos and randomness. So, you know, every week or a few days or whatever, sit down, even if it's tomorrow, <laughs> look at your day ahead, look at the few days ahead and say, what's happening for me? Mm. What obstacles and problems can I anticipate reasonably? And how can I strategize around those? So let's say, for example, you're traveling. Well, traveling is a fairly known quantity. If you've ever traveled, you know, flights are delayed, airport food sucks, uh, you know, hotels are far from grocery stores. Like there's all these things that are generally well known in travel. So knowing all these potential problems, put your thinking cap on and say, how could I strategize around this? In my case, one of my, one of my travel, I have two travel hacks. One of them is bringing protein powder packets, but another one is bringing oatmeal, like, like dry oats in a Ziploc bag 
And many of the hotel rooms I stay in have those in-room coffee makers. Yeah. I make oatmeal in the coffee maker with the hot water, right? Because I know that I'm going to be on some crazy time zone and be up at four in the morning and need breakfast. And yeah. that's, that's what I've got. So, you know, I prepare for the worst, uh, and, and, but the predictable worst, if that makes sense. Yeah. So I'm not saying think apocalyptically, but just look ahead tomorrow again, the next few days, your week and go, okay, what's likely going to happen? And what are my options for strategizing around that? If I know that my day gets super busy, why don't I have a morning workout? Even if I'm not a morning person, let's just get her done. If that's a 15 minute walk with a dog, good enough, good enough. So systems, schedules, processes, anything repeatable that is a structure is really important in consistency and sticking your habits together. And then the third piece is some kind of accountability if you can. Right? Meeting a workout buddy is a lot different than going to the gym for a workout on your own. Mm. Going to a class where people expect you to show up, you know, where you have a community and people are going to notice if you're not there, that makes a big difference. Gets yeah. you out of bed in the morning. Yeah. I've actually just been doing something with a, a coaching client of mine where she agreed to do a 14-day straight meditation with Headspace. So I said, wow. well, I do it every day anyway. Um, so we'll text each other. And it's kept on schedule. It's as simple yes. as that, you know. I'm doing it anyway, though. I would do it for her because it's, it's valuable. Um, and, and it's worked. We've got 14 days straight, which we hadn't managed to do other than that. And I love what you said about meshing a habit on another. We talk about intersections. So um, if you love listening to podcasts, but we're trying to get you to, to walk more, get a set of, of headphones, you know, whether it's the iPhone ones or, or fancier pair, and intersect the walk with listening to the podcasts. So that Perfect, walk, exactly. you know, that kind of stuff, I think, can be really powerful when you intersect things like that. Um, we are unfortunately coming up on time, but I wanted to ask how much in, your, in the concept of, of nutrition coaching do you link that back to things like sleep, mental health, um, energy? Do you look at all aspects or do you believe it's valuable to look at health in a holistic way? And what Absolutely. does holistic health mean to you? Well, you know, we use the concept uh, at Precision Nutrition, we call it deep health. Okay. And deep health is both individual health and relational health, right? So it's not just you as a self-contained human being, it is you also in relation to others. Yeah. How do you communicate with others? How do you relate to others? How do you advocate for yourself in your own life? How do you define what you want and, and go after it? Um, you know, all of these other things, how do you fit into a community? Where do you belong? Where do you find self-worth? And then of course there is mental health, there's emotional health, um, you know, emotional self-awareness. We know that emotional self-awareness is highly correlated with issues with food and eating, which is to say that if you don't know your emotions, if you can't feel your emotions, if you've shoved your emotions down, if you struggle with them, you will likely have issues with food and eating and you will likely find it hard to take care of yourself. Um, you know, there's even stuff like environmental health. If you're living, are you living in a healthy community, a healthy environment, what's around you? So, you know, there's an individual health component, which of course is holistic, right? Mind, body, spirit, soul, gut, however you want to frame yeah. it. Um, but there's also this very relational environmental piece. And I think when we start thinking bigger than ourselves, for me, that's very helpful because it stops becoming this, I don't know, post-enlightenment individualistic project. And it starts becoming like a we project, a community project, an us project. We start feeling more connected. And the evidence is quite, I mean, this isn't a woo-woo, the evidence is clear that when human beings feel social isolation, we're unhealthy. We can see the markers of inflammation. We can see uh, damage to tissues and structures. 
So this is not imaginary. Human beings are a social species. We need to belong, we need to have community. So for us, absolutely, you know, health is so multifactorial, so multidimensional. Mm. Um, even sexual health, we don't talk about this a lot either, right? Like, I always ask women, where are you getting pleasure? And they're like, what? <laughs> where's your joy? Where's your pleasure? Where's your desire? Where's your passion? Where's your vitality? Where's your zestiness? Mm. And a lot of people are like, what because you know we spend our days working so hard and being good it's like yeah pleasure just falls off the map so that yeah, to me is health too yeah yeah i mean i think it's important to look at every aspect of it and i think sleep is one of the most important ones to look at first whether it's nutrition coaching or any other aspect of what we've talked about because i think if you're sleep deprived it's going to be really hard to affect change it's going to be really hard to get your buy-in to get your focus commitment totally. even on a small level so sleep is kind of the place that we start and then go from there into what we call the six signals, which is then sleep, mental health, energy, body composition, digestion, and fitness. Yeah. Um, and they're oh, the kind of six. They're not a comprehensive list of six, but that's, yeah. It's that, a good that, start. Yeah, it's a good it's start. start. But, um, thank you so much. And we could go on, well, I, I certainly could, could let this go on. Um, it's been really helpful. I really appreciate it. And I'm sure our listeners will find it as well. It's going to go out in early January. Um, where can people get hold of you? Well, Facebook is a good way to find me. You can just search on Krista Scott Dixon. You can go to stumptuous.com, S-T-U-M-P-T-O-U-S.com. You can find me on Instagram, at stumptuous, on Twitter, at stumptuous. And then, of course, you can read you know, lots of free stuff at precisionnutrition.com. We have so much free stuff. Like, literally, you could spend probably a year reading all the free stuff, all the articles, all the infographics. So... Those are the best places to find me for sure. Cool. I'll link to all that in the show notes. And if there are any coaches listening, health coaches of any kind, precision nutrition, we've been, I am going through, please don't ask me what chapter I'm on or how long I've had the book. Um, but my two colleagues have finished uh, and I'm working my way through it, but it's a fantastic program. So for any coaches out there, I would recommend having a look at the, um, the coaching programs. Krista, thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the show. If you've enjoyed what you've heard, help us to reach more people by leaving a rating and a review on iTunes. We would really appreciate that and it would help us to spread the good word even further. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you on the next show.